Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. How many of you have ever seen a video online of someone who may have been either deaf or extremely hard of hearing? Hearing clearly for the first time. Have you ever seen those where they're there, they get the cochlear implants, and all of a sudden they hear the voice of a loved one or even just of the doctor and the joy? I saw one. I think this one's maybe about a minute long. We'll go ahead and play that, this cute one of a, of a little baby doing that right there. thoughts from that video. One, it would probably do all of us well to just go listen to a baby laughing once a day probably. That's just the joy that that brings. But the second thought, the joy that came when a sense that had been previously non-existent was brought to life. That joy, that person hearing for the first time. What is one of the lines in, in the most famous Christian song in American history that is used to portray the impact that Christ has had in our lives? I once was blind, but now I see. There aren't many things that are scarier or more hopeless than to be in darkness and not know how to get out, not know where to go. How do we describe the worst seasons of our lives? We say, I was in a really dark place. We say, those were some dark days. That was a really dark time in my life. How do we describe the feelings of relief and hope? What do we say? I I, I think, I'm not sure, but I think there is light at the what? End of the tunnel. What do we say? We say it was an eye-opening experience for me. We say I've seen the light, and this morning we're going to backtrack a little bit in the book of Genesis in our series, and I want you to see a mother and a son who are in a very dark place through no fault of their own. The mom is Hagar, the son is Ishmael. We finished last Sunday morning, Genesis chapter number 22, where where Abraham went to offer Isaac up on Mount Moriah. 
And I, I often have sermon thoughts as I study through a book that end up on the cutting room floor, if you will. Thoughts where I'm reading, and I'll write down a little seed thought and think about, well, maybe I'll go develop that thought some more, and maybe dig a little deeper into that passage, or, and, 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 and maybe craft a sermon from that. And so, um, when you're hearing we're on message number 31 in Genesis, there are probably 40 or 45 different ideas and thoughts that I had, but I just said, ah, I don't think I'll develop that. Well, this morning is one of those. Uh, about four, five, six weeks ago, as I was studying, as we were walking through chapter 20 and 21, I had this thought, and I jotted it down actually in my Bible. I wrote these, these seed thoughts down as I was just reading um, the Scripture. I wasn't studying or in commentaries, I was just reading through Genesis. I often read through the passage multiple times. And as we were working through, I decided, I'm, I'm not going to preach that one, I'm not going to develop that one. And if, I, if we developed every thought that I found, we'd probably be in this series for 20 years. And so there's more in the Bible than any of us could ever preach. It's inexhaustible. And so I have to seek the Lord and, and, and depend on what it is that we're going to do. But over the last few weeks, as we kind of moved past it, we preached through chapter 21, we preached through chapter 22, I kept going back to this thought, and I kept thinking about these characters, and I kept thinking about one specific phrase in this passage. And so this morning, I want to bring us this message, and it comes from Genesis chapter number 21. In this passage, I don't have time to give us a bunch of review, but Abraham, God is called Abraham. Through Abraham is going to come the Messiah, eventually Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of the world. God promises He's going to give him a son, Abraham and Sarah. The only problem is Abraham's like 75, 80, 90 years old at this time. And so God promises to give him a son, and Sarah is 75 and like, yeah, that's not happening, Abraham. Just like anybody here in their 70s, if your husband said, you're going to have a son, you would say, yeah, that's not happening. And so they decided, you know what, why don't you go ahead and have a child with my handmaid, Hagar? And Hagar had a son named Ishmael, but that wasn't God's promised son. That was a picture of trying to do God's work in our own power. And, and so God said, I'm going to keep my promise, I'm going to make a nation of that son, but that's not the son that my, my son Jesus is going to come through. And so last week, or, or actually in this chapter, chapter 21, is when at the age of 100 and, and then also 90, 100 for Abraham, 90 for Sarah, God gives them this son. She has a child in her old age. She literally calls her Abraham. He was as good as dead, and God gave an as good as dead son life. It's a picture of Jesus. I don't have time to go through all of that. We probably will. Next Sunday or the following, we'll look at a lot of the types that are found in this passage with Abraham, Isaac, Ishmael, and all of those things. But that's what happens. It's happening in this chapter is Isaac's come. So now Sarah and Abraham have been raising Ishmael, the, Sarah's stepson, I guess you would say, have been raising Ishmael as their own. He's probably somewhere in his teenage years. He's somewhere around probably 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, somewhere in that range. They've been raising this boy. Now she has the son of her own. Isaac has come. And Ishmael did what junior hires sometimes do, acted without thinking, wasn't the most mature in his things, and we see that he began to mock Sarah and Isaac, began to make fun of, uh, of Sarah and her little baby boy, and Sarah wasn't having it. Let's find verse number 9, the Bible says, chapter 21 of Genesis, verse number 9, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Basically, she comes to Abraham and says, Get rid of him and get rid of him now. She had that look. Husbands, do you know what I'm talking about? That look. Where you walk in, you think everything. You got an amen right there, Joe. You've seen it. All right. Well, this Joe, not, not Joe and Arlene. Joe's about to get in trouble for something he didn't say. Joe Walsh said that, not Joe Henry, okay? 
don't get in trouble on the way home, Arlene. That look, he walked in thinking everything was great. He came in, we need to talk. What did I do? I didn't do anything. Abram's like, I just worked hard all day. Hagar and Ishmael, they're gone. I'm done. He's not going to be an heir to my son. Get him out of the house. Get them out. And so we see in verse number, uh, verse number 11, and this thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. He loved Ishmael. This was his boy. This was his only son at that point until Isaac came. It was his firstborn son. Verse 12, and God said unto Abraham, let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman and all that Sarah said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called and also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation because he is thy seed. By the way, you study this, this is where we get um, the Jewish race and we get the Arab races. This is where we get Ishmael is the father of the Arab race, Isaac the father of the Jewish race, God kept his promise, and because of Isaac and Sarah's lack of faith, there's been conflict ever since. Verse number 14, and Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the scrubs, uh, shrubs. And she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were a bow shot. For she said, let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. Get the picture. Hagar has done nothing wrong. Hagar has a son through no fault of her own. She did what her master told her to do. It was Sarah's lack of faith and Abraham's lack of faith that brought this. Hagar has not brought this upon herself. Hagar is now, what do we have here? And and Abraham comes and gives him some bread and some water and says, I'm sorry, happy wife, happy life, I can't do it, you got to go. And he sends them off, Hagar and Ishmael, and they run, she doesn't know where to go, they run out of water, they run out of bread, and what happens? They run out of all of these things, and she says, my son's about to die, it must have been several days at this point, he's going to die of starvation, going to die of thirst, I can't, I can't watch it, I'm going to go sit down, she sat him down, he was probably weak, couldn't move, I'm going to sit him down, and I can't see this, and she's sitting there weeping, crying out, just sobbing out, why was this? What do we have at this point of the story? We have a single mom without direction. The Bible says she wandered in that passage. Without protection, Abraham had rejected them. Without love, with no one to care for them. Without provision, the water was gone. Without hope, she knows her son is going to die. A really dark place. Again, I want to remind you, she had not done anything to deserve this. And then look at verse number 17, a beautiful verse. Would you read verse 17 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. By the way, it's not my message, but just in that verse, I want to remind you what a beautiful illustration and a beautiful reminder that even in bad situations that are a result of bad choices, God still hears and sees and cares. I don't know what you're facing, and I don't know whose fault it is. I don't know if it's something of your own making or something someone else has done to you, but a beautiful reminder, the angel, is, she's weeping, and God heard the voice of the lad. Jesus loves the little children. Aren't you thankful for that? Look at verse number 18, please. 
What did he say? The, the voice says, Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water, and gave the lad drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. And here's the phrase that I kept thinking about, really the whole passage and the whole story. What a beautiful picture of God's love and mercy and compassion to somebody that really could offer him nothing, somebody that was of the lowest of the low in society, a rejected single mother handmaid that was an, an, an Egyptian that was not in her country, not around anybody that she knew, and God cared for this one that nobody else cared for. But here's the phrase that I saw, the first five words of verse number 19, and God opened her eyes. Would you say those five words with me this morning? And God opened her eyes. One more time. And God opened her eyes. In the midst of her grief and her pain and her tears, she was blinded to some things that were there all along, but God opened her eyes. And this morning, I want to bring us, and I'll, I'll do my best to keep it timely, I want to bring us a message that I've titled, Let God Open Your Eyes. Let God open your eyes like that little baby, the joy that came when her ears were opened. Let God open your eyes. It has been said, and I think we all understand that we all have blind spots, don't we? Things that others can see in us that we can't see in ourselves. We all have those, right? And that's really what self-awareness is about, is kind of being able to acknowledge this thing that, that maybe I don't see in myself, but others do. That is true often spiritually as well. There are things that God knows that we can't see. And no matter where you find yourself this morning, I want to encourage you to open your eyes to a few things that God opened Hagar's eyes to on what may have been the darkest day of her life. God opened Hagar's eyes to a few things at the lowest moment of her life. And I don't know where you're at today, but my prayer is that you'll be reminded as we just sang, we serve the same God. We serve the same God, and He can open our eyes to those same things. By the way, it doesn't say that God did all of these things, like this was all new stuff that He created. He opened her eyes to see these things. This was always God's plan all along. This, this was going to be there, but she couldn't see it in the midst of her grief. And, and God, in the midst of your darkness and your blindness, let God open your eyes, number one, to His salvation. The angel announced on that day to Hagar, Hagar, God has provided a way for your son to be physically saved today. What does he say? Lift him up. I will make him a great nation. I will physically save your son. And by way of introduction this morning, I want to just say to those that are listening or those that might be watching online or listening on our archives later on somewhere, listener, I'd like to announce to you that God has provided a way for you to be spiritually saved today. If you've never had your eyes open to the gift of salvation that can only be found in Jesus Christ, let today be the day that the scales fall off your eyes and you see Christ clearly for the first time. Didn't you hear some of those video testimonies? I grew up and I went to a religious school or parochial school. I, I, I knew of God or of a higher power, but, but now He's my Savior. What were they saying? There came a place where God opened my eyes to His salvation. And if you're here today and your eyes have never been spiritually opened, God opened her eyes, number one, to his salvation. I'm going to physically save your son. Do you remember Paul on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter number nine? 
a man who hated Christ Jesus. He was against Jesus. He was against Christians. In fact, he was one of the leaders in putting Christians to death. And he was going to continue doing that, get some more notches in his belt for more Christians he was going to go persecute. And what did God do? God blinded him on the road to Damascus. Do you remember that? A man who was an enemy of the church, he blinded Paul's physical eyes so that he could open Paul's spiritual eyes. He allowed Paul to be stopped in his tracks in his life so that he could have his eyes open to the good news of Jesus Christ. It says it this way in Acts chapter number 9, and Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him, and Paul was called Saul before salvation. Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the ways as thou camest, hath sent me, what, that thou mightest receive sight. Have your eyes open to his salvation and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales. And he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. May I also just stop and say here, may I just stop and say, when he opens your eyes, it changes your life. It changes your purpose, it changes your priorities, it changes your activities. What did Paul do? He was going to the, he was going to the, to the churches, to the believers, to find them, to put them to death. But after God opened his eyes, he's going into the synagogues where he was a religious leader and saying, my eyes have been opened, Christ is the Messiah. But all that heard him were amazed and said, is not this he that destroyed them, which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? What happened to this guy? You know what happened? His eyes were opened. Have your eyes been opened to the salvation that only Christ can bring? Number two, let God open your eyes to his love. Look at verse 17, if you will, please. I love the last phrase of verse 17. For God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. I love that phrase, where he is. God knows where you're at. And no matter where you cry to him from, he hears your voice where he is. What a beautiful picture. When I could not come, the song says, to where he was, he came to me. God opened his eyes, to, God opened her eyes to his love. God has heard your son's cry. He loves your son, Hagar. You think everyone's abandoned you. You think everyone's betrayed you. You think your life is over. You think that, that all of your plans and dreams are dashed, but God loves you and he loves your son. No matter what you've done this morning or what's been done to you, open your eyes to his love. Stop and consider all that he's done for you. She thought God had forgotten, but she was reminded that his love never fails. Do you ever find yourself doubting the love of God? If you do, you're in good company. Many throughout Scripture did. Many of the people we call the heroes of the faith at times doubted his love. Maybe you, like the psalmist, sometimes ask yourself, like he did in Psalm 77, is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Is he done with me? Is his mercy run out? Are his promises going to come true? If you find yourself there this morning, may I encourage you, while she was sitting there crying out with a pain that I can't even imagine to God for her son who was dying, what did God open her eyes to? His salvation and his love. Let God, and by the way, was God's love different that day than it was the day before? Yes or no, church? Was God's care for her and Ishmael different that day than it was the day before? Yes or no? 
God's love wasn't different. You know what was different? Her eyes weren't open to it. God's love hadn't changed, but her perspective changed. Let God open your eyes, number three, we see here, to his provision. Look at verse 19, please. And God opened her eyes, and what did she see? She saw a well of water. There are two options, and God could have done whatever he wanted. There is the option that that well wasn't there, and God miraculously just created a well immediately for her to have right there. That's an option. But based on the context of this, I don't personally believe that's what this text is teaching us. You know what I think it's showing us? That well, that his provision was always there, but through her tears and through her heartache and through her heartbreak, she just couldn't see it. What God had had for her, she just missed it because her focus was on her despair and her circumstances rather than the well of water that I believe had been there all along. And by nature, whether or not that's the case in this passage, by nature, do you know what we often focus on? What we don't have. What did Satan try to get Adam and Eve to focus on in the Garden of Eden? God had given them everything and said, one tree in the middle, don't touch it. The fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, leave it alone. God's given you everything else. And what did Satan, what was Satan's first trick in the Garden of Eden? To get them to focus on the one thing they thought God was keeping from them. Instead of focusing on all that he had given them, all of their provision, all that he had done for them, Satan said, but there's this one thing that you don't have. And this would make your life better. And this is what you're missing. And by the way, the same thing happens to us. I believe in our, in our nature, we focus on that, that one thing that he hasn't given us. But do you know what God wants you to focus on? All that he has done for you. Are you breathing right now? Some of you are breathing a little loudly. It's called a snore. You need to wake up right now, but don't wake your neighbor up, all right, if they're sleeping. Let them rest. If you're breathing right now, thank him for your lungs. Thank him for a beating heart. Did you have food to eat today if you wanted it? Thank him for his provision. Are you wearing clothes today, and do you have more than one set in your closet? Thank him for his abundance. Did you drive a car here today that that is working? Did you thank him for it? Do you have a copy of God's Word to read in your own language? Did you thank him for his mercy and grace? You thank him for a church where lives are being changed on a holiday weekend? Focus on all he has given you, not what you think he hasn't. It's been said, a convicting statement, if you woke up tomorrow with only what you thank God for today, what would you have? She opened her eye, he opened her eyes to his provision. I haven't left you alone. You think that there's no hope? You think you're not going to make it through this? You think your life is over? I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, Are you worried about making ends meet this morning? How the bills are going to be paid this month? What's going to happen in that business deal this week? What did Jesus say about worrying about these things? In the book of Matthew, he said, therefore I say unto you, take no thought. Take no thought. Don't think about and don't worry about for your life what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body what you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment behold the fowls of the air they sow not neither do they reap nor gather in a barn yet your heavenly father feedeth them are you not much more better than they which of you by taking thought can add one cubit unto a stature what does he say here even if you are going to worry about all these physical things your needs how it's all going to work out what's going to happen there your health and which is natural for all of us to worry about your finances even if you do what good is worrying doing for you by worrying about it, is it making it any better? When I was in ninth grade, I was not five foot tall yet. I really wanted to get past five foot. I was like 4'10". I really wanted to be taller. 
And you know what? Me thinking about it and worrying about it, you know how much it helped? Zero. Didn't help at all. And why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Again, he's not saying you shouldn't think about what should I wear today, or you shouldn't think about and fight about after church, where are you going? to lunch. That's okay to do, all right? He's not saying that. What he's saying is don't spend any time worrying about this stuff. God's got you. Why are you stressing out? Has he let you down yet? Has he not met a need yet? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Get your priorities right. And his righteousness and all these things, the earthly things, shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Don't worry about that. Don't think about what you don't have. Open your eyes to his provision to you today. Open your eyes to his provision rather than focusing on your perceived poverty in some area, what you don't have. The psalmist said it this way, I've been young and now I'm old. I'm not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. He said, I've lived a long life and I've never seen God not take care of his children. I've never seen God not there for his children in their time of need. What did she get her eyes open to? God opened her eyes to his provision. There's a well of water. Again, I ask, has he failed you yet? Have you gone hungry yet? Has he ever let you down? Then why do you think he will now? Let him open your eyes to his provision. Number four, he opened her eyes to his presence. Verse 20, the first six words, and God was with the lad. May I encourage us? Don't just open your eyes to the gifts. Open your eyes to the giver. Not just his provision, but his presence. Not just what he's done for you, but who he is for you. He opened her eyes, God is with the lad. He opened her eyes to his presence. The writer of Hebrews told us to be content with the things that we have because Jesus promised us he would never leave us nor forsake us. The reality of his presence in our lives should take our eyes off the level of his provision. That's what the writer of Hebrews said. Let me say that one more time. The reality of his presence in our lives should take our eyes off the level of his provision. That's what he said. He said, he said be content with such things you have in Hebrews because he said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. So whatever he's given you, be content because you have him. Whatever gifts he's given or you think hasn't given, you have the greatest gift. Whatever level of provision he has or hasn't given, if you have food and raiment, be content and thank God for his presence. Be content with what you have because you have everything you need. Jesus' last recorded words to his disciples in Matthew's gospel were this, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. If the world hasn't ended, he's with you. And if and when it does end, he's still with you. Open your eyes to his presence. You know, sometimes the psalmist, they would feel like, David, you'd hear it, he's left me. Job felt this way. We get in moments of darkness and discouragement and depression, despair. And we feel like, he's left me, he doesn't care. I prayed and it hit the ceiling. 
Talks about the, the heavens are like brass, the psalmist said. It just bounces off when I pray. And we can feel that way. The reality is that's not, the reality, is that's not reality but it's how we feel. But let God open your eyes to his presence. He promised he'll never leave you nor forsake you. You have all you need in Christ. Let's live like it. Let him open your eyes, number five, and I'm almost done, to his preparation. Verse 20, and God was with the lad and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. You know what God opened Hagar's eyes to that morning? That he wasn't done with her precious son, Ishmael. We kind of view Ishmael in a bad light based on the biblical narrative. He's a son of the flesh, not of faith. You have to remember for Hagar, that's all she had in life. That's her pride and joy. She loved him like life itself. And God reminded her that morning, that day, I should say, he still had a promise for him and he still had a promise to fulfill in his life. He still had a plan. I like what our guest speaker said a couple weeks ago on Mental Health Sunday. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. If you're here today, God is not done with you. You are not worthless. This may be a preparation season for the next phase of even greater fruitfulness and fulfillment in your life. Open your eyes to his preparation. I'm not some prosperity gospel preacher. Today is your breakthrough, and, and you're going to be rich. No, I'm not. What I am saying is, when he hath tried me and purified me, I shall come forth as gold. What did he open her eyes to? He opened her eyes that he wasn't done. He was still with the lad, his presence, and he was preparing him for a life of usefulness. I don't know what you're going through, but you might feel like I'm at, a, I'm at a dead end. I'm kind of worthless. I'm useless. It might feel that way. I'm not fulfilling what God wants me to do. It's all of this, these struggles. That, that might be how it feels, but it may just be it's a season of preparation. And can I say this morning that seasons of preparation are never wasted seasons. Moses, wandering around the, uh, the desert wasn't a wasted season. As a shepherd, Jesus, 30 of his 33 years in preparation for his public ministry, those 30 years were not waste, a wasted season. You study scripture, God often puts people in, in quiet, lonely, uh, solo circumstances or difficult circumstances when he's preparing them for something great in their lives. I don't, I'm not God. I don't know what he's doing in your life, but open your eyes to his preparation. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. Lastly, let God open your eyes. To his plan. Verse 21, and he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. When we read the Bible, a lot of times, especially if we're reading like on a Bible reading plan, and we need to read a chapter or two or three or four a day, we just read words, we read through it. Stop and sit in verse 21 for a minute, and think about all that's communicated there. This young boy came back to full strength. He grew. He matured. God gave him a wife. What does that communicate? He brought love into his life. He brought relationship. He brought, and we'll find out later, he brought children. There were grandchildren. There were, there were all of these joys, all of that joy, companionship, love, children, grandchildren, long life, all of that happened. What, was, what, what, did, what did Hagar see in verse 16? What were her eyes open to in verse 16? Despair, death, pain, heartache. Loneliness. Verse 16, despair, death, pain, heartache, loneliness. Verse 21, family, joy, blessing, future, love, 
companionship. What a difference five verses makes. What was the difference in those five verses? The difference was her perspective. God hadn't changed between verse 16 and 21. His plan for Ishmael hadn't changed between verse 16 and 21. His power hadn't changed between verse 16 and 21. His promise to make a nation of him from earlier in the chat in the book hadn't changed between verse 16 and 21. What changed? God opened her eyes. Her perspective changed, and she realized God's not done. God has a plan. God cares. God knows. God sees. God loves. God answers prayer. Man, what an encouragement it is from really characters that get a little bit of a bad rap through no fault of their own. Hagar and Ishmael didn't choose this life. Abraham and Sarah chose it for them. And what a beautiful passage that the, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that God included in the canon of Scripture, a single mom, an outcast single mom with no one to love her, no one to care, sitting a, di- a long distance from her, probably a hundred or two hundred yards away from her dying son, crying out to God, and God opened her eyes to his salvation, to his love to his provision, to his presence, to his preparation, and to his plan. You may not understand how he is leading or where all this is going, but may I encourage you this morning, trust your guide. Have you ever visited a new country as part of a tour group, a place you've never been and have no idea where to go? Anybody gone on maybe a tour group on another country? I've been to Israel a few times, most recently last September with a group from our church, and I got to enjoy that trip with my oldest son, Titus. There we are overlooking the old city. And you know, on that trip, I don't know, I've learned it now. I think I've been three or four times. I've learned it a little more, but especially the first time I went. But even now, I don't really know the country that well. I don't know how to get places. I don't know the names of the highways. I haven't researched the best routes. I haven't planned an itinerary. Yet I've been able to see much of that beautiful country and learn much and experience things I never thought I would experience as I've traveled thousands of miles there. I've been north and south. I've been on military bases. I've met with the vice prime minister. I've, I've been um, to, to where they believe may have been the, the garden tomb or the other spot. There are two spots. One's traditional and one uh, somewhat archaeological. I've been those spots. I've been to, the, to the, uh, the Dead Sea. I've been to the Sea of Galilee. I've seen all of these places. I've seen a synagogue where Jesus stood and preached. I've been to all these places. How did I get to go to all of those places and enjoy all of those things? Very simply, you know what I've done when I've gone to Israel? Just trust the guide. I trusted the guide. I trusted his experience. I trusted his daily plan for my trip. I trusted that he, you know, I've never booked a single hotel in Israel, and yet I've had a place to sleep every night. I've never made a single reservation for a restaurant in Israel, and yet I've had food to eat every meal I've ever been in the country. Why? I trusted that the guide wouldn't take me to unsafe places. I've traveled there and home safely every time. I trusted that he knew the best places to eat, and I trusted his wisdom. I've seen things I never imagined I would see and experienced things I never expected to experience. And do you know how I did it? Do you know what part I had in all of it? Here it is. I got on the bus every morning. That's it. Every morning, the guide said, meet us here at 8 o'clock. And you know what I did? 
I went to sleep and I slept peacefully and I didn't worry about, do we have gas in the bus? And I didn't worry about where are we eating tomorrow? And I didn't worry about, do we have tickets to that museum? I didn't worry about any of it. You know what I did? I got a good night's sleep. I woke up, went down to the breakfast buffet, filled up, ate as much as I wanted, and I got on the bus. And every morning, whenever the guide told me to get on the bus, each morning I just got on the bus and trusted the guide. I listened to where and when he told me to be at the bus, and I did that every day. And I trusted that he would take me to the right places and bring me home safely. You know what you and I need to do each and every day in our Christian lives? Just get on the bus. Just get on the bus. You've got a guide that knows where he's taking you. He'll get you home safely. He has provision. He knows the best places to eat. He knows how to guide and direct, and he knows what things he wants you to see and what things we probably shouldn't see. And and some of it might not make sense, and there might be some stuff you think, man, I I really would have rather spent more time in that city, and this is kind of a boring site. But it all works together for that trip, and the guide knows where you should be. Just get on the bus. God, I trust your power to save, your power to provide. I trust your love and your presence and your preparation and your plan. I'm just going to get on your bus every morning and trust that you will take me where I need to go and show me what I need to see and be with me and lead me in the right way and bring me home safely. Isn't that the Christian life? Isn't that what Paul said? I die daily. What did he say? Every morning, it's your bus. I'm just getting on it. It's your plan. It's your tour. It's your itinerary. I'm going to try to die to myself and rest in you. You know what Hagar learned here? God opened her eyes. I close with a few verses in Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah, beautiful message to God's people from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 43. But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel, fear not. Don't be scared. What are you worried about? For I have redeemed thee. Open your eyes to my salvation. I have called thee by thy name. Open your eyes to my love. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Open your eyes to my protection. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Open your eyes to my presence. I'm walking through everything with you. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. I gave Egypt for thy ransom, Ethiopia and Seba for thee, since thou wast precious in my sight. Thou hast been honorable, and I have loved thee. Therefore will I give men for thee, and people for thy life. Fear not, for I am with thee. Open my eyes, your eyes to my plan, to my preparation. I bring thy seed from the east, and gather thee from the west. I have a plan for you. Bring forth the blind people that have eyes, and the deaf that have ears. Let all all the nations be gathered together, and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring forth their witnesses that they may be justified. The next verse, ye are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. The next verse, I, even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I have declared and have saved. I have showed when there was no strange God among you, therefore you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, that I am God. What does he say? Open your eyes to my salvation, to my love, to my provision. He's saying this to Israel. He says it to us in the New Testament. To my protection, to my presence, to my preparation, to my plan. Open my eyes. And then what did he say to Isaiah? When you've seen those things in your life, I want you to be witnesses to others of all of those things. Hey, Israel, go tell everybody what I've done for you as a nation. 
Hey, church, go tell everybody what he's done for us as the body of Christ. I want you, you've seen it. Once you've seen it, your witnesses, I want you to tell everybody that you can. Do you find yourself a little bit like Hagar in some area of your life, sitting there in despair? How could this ever work out? My life is over. What's God doing? I love that phrase. I hope I was right to pull this one up off the cutting room floor. I couldn't get away from that phrase. And God opened her eyes. What does God need to open your eyes to this morning? You know what we focus on? We have our eyes on all the things we wish were different. God, you're high and lifted up. Help me to lift my eyes under the hills from whence comes my help. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.